Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Zara Therese Tisch, founder and CEO of Therese. The New York City-based fashion brand seems well-suited to the times as it's best known for activewear, namely bright, fun leggings made to fuel positivity. I wanted to ask Zara how the brand, which was born during the 2008 recession, is currently faring. I also wanted to inquire about its recent physical retail expansion. Its first store, which opened in September, has a candy wall. Folks, welcome, Zara. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jill. I'm really, really excited to be talking to you. And so um, excited to have you. You know, it's hearing you saying those different things. It, it always, it's always a surreal moment. Um, you know, I've been doing this for 14 years, and you, you, it doesn't ever get old. You're always like, I'm sorry, I did what? What, <laughs> what is it that I'm known for? Or you know, that's my brand, or people know, and it's. Sometimes it's exciting, it's confusing, but it's 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 surreal is really the the best way to describe it. Oh, I love it. Well, you built quite the brand and I want to circle back to all the way at the beginning because we were just talking about <laughs> <laughs> the your your 80s past and love affair with leggings, leggings and that continue it started from a young age, but yeah, tell me about and that you started with a brand that wasn't even focused on leggings, but leggings, but talk me through it. You know, it's very, it's very interesting because when people ask me, they're like, okay, so tell me about your brand. And I'm sure many people can um, really align with this understanding. It's a journey, right? It's a really, really long, this has been a 14 year journey. So my first question is like, well, how much time do you have? And so we know we ha don't have that much time, um, but you know, it it never was about the leggings. It's still not about the leggings. Um, what Therese was and what it continues to be is the energy and the feeling um, that we emit. And what that is, is truly the celebration of life, the small moments and the big. And it's taken a very long time uh, to get there. So I was 22 when I started this brand, I was, I had graduated from the University of Michigan. I was living home with my parents to save money. Um, I was very fortunate enough to do so. Um, all of my friends from school were living in Manhattan. I couldn't afford to do that. But I had been, I had recently over the past few years, I'd come out from a very dark time in, in my life. Um, and I was working for a marketing agency through a, and I wanted to do something. I wanted, I didn't really know what it was. And I think it took many years, still taking 14 years, um, to do something that made me happy. And I thought in turn would make other people happy as well. So as I was at this marketing agency, I found myself, um, you know, working. I was 22. I was in the West Village of New York City at a leather store called Joseph Hanna. And I was getting some leather um, pads for vitrines that we were creating. And there was a little sign on the side that said, customize your own leather handbag. And so I thought to myself, I said, oh, I can do that. You know, let's customize. I said, I said, excuse me, sir. And um, he had a very thick Eastern accent, um, wasn't very friendly. 
Um, I said, does this mean, <laughs> I said, customize your own leather handbag. Um, do I like draw something and then you make it? And he's like, yes, that's what customize means. And I said, oh, okay, great. Um, and so I thought to myself, and I'm not really sure exactly why, but I said, hmm, could you make a hundred of them? And he's like, who is this, this girl? And I, you could see that, you know, coming out of his face. Who is this young, you know, girl that's, that's here? And so he gets his brother from the back and they start talking about it. And they're like, okay, you know, they're gonna let her know. Like, yeah, we can make a hundred of them. So I turn around and I say, can you make a thousand of them? And they're, and they're at this point, they're just placating me. They're like, sure, sure. We can make whatever you want. So I'm, I'm now, you know, I graduated from college. I'm trying to save money. I'm learning about, um, you know, spending money for the first time. I learned that Louis Vuitton wasn't leather and it was plastic. And I was like, that was enraging to me as a 22 year old. I didn't know these things. And I go home on the train. I go home to my parents and I sit down and I said, you know, I think I want to start my own business and I think I'm going to make leather handbags. I don't know what it was. I think I'm going to do that. I was at this store. I'm going to do that. And it's going to be about happiness and bringing back the garment center. Because side note, my father was a, a manufacturer, a quote unquote, garmento for many years in the 70s and 80s and no longer was manufacturing in New York anymore because everything went to be produced overseas. So I'm like, dad, I'm going to, you know, bring back the garment center for you and I'm going to do this. And, you know, I, as I had said, I had gone through a lot of trauma and, and people very close in my life had, had passed and I'm going to do all of these things. And because I can, and I'm learning about marketing and I can market my, myself and do this. And my dad turns around and he goes, absolutely not. You are not going into the, the manufacturing industry. We're not doing it. And my mom looks at me and she said, Zara, you're 22. Now is the time. Let's do it. And so... I listened to my mom, and in uh, the summer of 2008, um, I launched Zara Therese LLC handbags out of my parents' basement um, right before the economy crashed. It was perfect timing to quit my job and start a company. Um, oh my God. But did they that, did they help you fund this? Did the did the leather company make these one thousand bags? Oh no, they did. Um, so I had them make a couple of samples for me, and they um, again, I my initial gut was right. They weren't very friendly, and they weren't very good. <laughs> and and what I did at that time, because um, I needed a manufacturer, I needed somebody to be making as I'm starting this business. And um, I started going on Craigslist, actually. And there was a gentleman out of Red Hook in Brooklyn that I would drive to and from Atlantic Beach to go and go through the leather stores, go there. And that's how I started creating samples. And I would say tiny, tiny production in the beginning. Um, How do you exude happiness and positivity in a handbag? Like, what uh, was the play there? I think that's an interesting thing. And I actually, Jill, at the time, didn't know that's what I was trying to do. And I think it's over many years and going through your entrepreneurial journey, um, you grow, 
you experience, and you evolve, both as a person and both as a brand. And in the beginning, I just needed to do something. I needed to do something with this dark sadness that I had. And I needed to create. And it was never about, oh, here is a void in the market. Oh, here is this. Um, I was surrounded by two parents, you know, who had both worked and had their own, you know, companies. So I had, you know, my, my mom didn't work when I was growing up, but she did before um, as she was raising one of my sisters as a single mom. And my father was a true entrepreneur to the very end. And, and as I said before, you know, one of those and still is this big boisterous um, person that when you walk into a room, you listen to and you hear it and they're here and they got really good things to say. <laughs> and, um, and I think it was over time and as I started to figure out who I was and what Therese has really become in over over the years is that positive part of life. So every single person goes through dark parts of their life. And so I like to call them hills and valleys. Like you, Jill, right? We go through yeah. different traumas, different things that affect us. And it's all relative. No, None is more severe than someone else's because you haven't been through what someone else has been through. What I find to be the most powerful is the choice to do afterwards. And for me, the step forwards and aligning with people alike to look at the good parts of life because it is so easily, it's, it is so easy to look at the negative. And so that is truly what I created Therese for. So if you want to sit here and say that it was selfish, I guess it really was selfish. Um, but, but I mean, as, not no, that was that, but, but, but through this experience and through this journey, I have aligned by creating these happy pieces that have supported that mission and message. And yes. As I was doing the handbag, so it's interesting, you said, how do you create these happy things? So I was creating and putting really fun, crazy inside um, liners in my handbags that would make me um. smile. And I would find other outsides that were glitter and fun and different things. Um, the problem is nobody wanted them, right? We were in a recession. I was throwing everything against the wall to see what stuck. Um I wasn't, you know, I was, again, I living home with my parents, living from, you know, if I, if I got a little order, then I would take that money and I would create another sample with it. Uh, I learned very terribly about credit and credit cards very quickly because in the beginning you think that's going to be very helpful, where on one hand it is, but if you don't keep up with it, it is detrimental to your credit, which took yeah. me a long time to fix later on. And everything like one-off orders? Were you working with wholesale partners? In the beginnings, partners? we were yeah. working with wholesale partners, but originally it was trunk shows. 
So I did oh, get okay. into, yeah, it was trunk shows. It was small boutiques. Um, and I would have to do a real investment. And I put all of the salary that I made for the first year because I was able to, because um, I was living at home, into starting this business. And whatever my parents could help with, they did help with. And I was lucky to have that as well. And more importantly than that, their knowledge of whatever it is that they did. Never in manufacturing handbags, but just manufacturing in general. And I tried different things. I would sell to Nordstrom and then I didn't get back in. And I would do a trunk show at Bloomingdale's and invite everybody I knew and they would all purchase. And then the buyer at Bloomingdale's told me, well, it's great that you did a nice trunk show, but you will never be in Bloomingdale's ever. Like, really. And then I tried to do, um, I was asked to be on QVC in Europe, and I went on the air in Italy and in the UK, and I was going to be on Germany. Um, and all of these different things didn't didn't stick, honestly. Mm. My parents had gone back. So my, my father had went out of business. I had said he was manufacturing. And then he went back into business with my mom and some friends a little bit. I would say, um, so this is around 2010, 2007, he went back in, but in 2010, he had, they were creating, um, they were manufacturing dresses for tweens to go to bar and bat mitzvahs. So that, that tween person is these dresses. Um, and I was struggling to make money for all of the things that I was trying to do. And so what I did is I took the linings of, um, cause I had fabric from my handbags and I made little pencil cases out of them. And I sold those pencil cases to the stores that my, the, the children's stores that my parents, um, were selling to. And cause I was able to do that. They were inexpensive yeah. just to get cash into the business. Nice. And, um, and that was a, you know, helpful for a little bit. And then I, thought to myself, I said, you know, if I really want to do this, I, I really need to, to, to really think about this collection and how to do it and, and go into hand, handbags and, you know, real deep. Why did I want to go into handbags? So in the, was it, I would say January, I always, I always forget, but I think it was in January, 2011. Um, I went to a show, um, a trade show, and I really worked very hard on creating a true assortment of handbags. And at this show on the table in the middle of the booth, because usually no one was in the booth, I would play customer and that's what get people in. But I yeah. threw um, I threw in a basket of all of these pencil cases that I had made for the children's stores. And these pencil cases were all in bright, fun colors because that's what the inside of my handbags were. And during this particular trade show, um, a very dapper gentleman walked into my booth, Jill. And I'm thinking to myself and um, my best friend at the time, because she was working with me, and we're like, this must be someone very important. Who is this someone, you know, very important? Right. Who is this? And so we're looking around and, you know, and showing them. And he goes, well, what are these things in, um, you know, inside this basket? And I said, oh, these are little pencil cases that I have been, you know, doing. And I said, what about this beautiful uh, handbag display wall that I've been spending so much money um, on and investing in? And he said, 
no, this, this is interesting. This is happy. This is colorful. This is different. And I, and he's, he ended up being, um, the DMM of Neiman Marcus. Oh, stop. Uh, yeah, oh, one of great. the head buyers. Luxury Neiman, store. Uh, yeah, of yeah. Neiman Marcus. And he said, this is what we want. And they purchased those cases, those scuba cases, which we called them, these pencil cases, for yes. their stores. And, and at that same- Targeted toward kids, yes? Targeted, so you, targeted towards yes. kids, but for women. No, no, no. For their stores tar- targeted towards women, not to kids. It. As like okay. as as things towards women, and at this same trade show, I had Urban Outfitters and a Japanese distributor come into my booth, and these are things that don't happen. And both Urban Outfitters also was very attracted to the colorful basket in the middle, and then also on the side there was a backpack that was hand splatter painted. I see you, Jill. You're sitting here. You're like, I need to. Add, I where is this going? It's amazing. No, it's and I um, and I said, well, I made that splatter bag myself. They said, well, could you make 500 of them? And I thought, well, I guess I could. Sure. And a Japanese distributor also wanted the colorful cases, and so I realized at that very moment. You know, you think about your aha moment. Um, that I had been hiding my truest self on the inside and on the inside all of those years and on the inside of my bags. And from that point on, everything changed. And I started to just go for it and feel what I was feeling and feel what made me happy. And that was vibrancy and color and my family and my friends and that was what came first, always. Nice. Did, is your family still part of the business? So my one of my sisters works for the business. Um, my dad, my mother, unfortunately, um, she passed away when I was pregnant with my son. Um, and my father, I would say, is everyone's role model and wants to be in it all of the time. <laughs> but he um, he is part of the DNA and the ethos and the energy of everything that we do. And it continues to transcend to the family that I'm currently building. So my three kids love it, are a part of it. Um, And my husband actually is the most supportive person in the entire world to the business as well. So it is most definitely a labor of love and family. Yes. Well, you do sell kids, um, kids wear, children's wear. I sure do. What percentage of the business is that? Is it majority um, women's apparel? So when we transferred um, from handbags to ready to wear, we actually transferred with kids first. And that was at the end of 2012. And that was the beginning of what you know, Therese, as right now. And as I was saying, I was working with my best friend since we were 10 years old. And we wore a lot of leggings. We, um, this was never about active wear. This was never about anything. It was about creating something that we thought would be great. And we were currently still selling to the children's stores these scuba cases. And all of our linings and my manufacturers, my handbag manufacturers, didn't like it whatsoever. Um, were made out of spandex because those have the most vibrant colors, but they are the worst to sew and manufacture with. 
Oh, I bet. Um, yeah, they really yeah. are. So we took that, those same linings and made leggings out of them. And I never wanted to put, I never wanted to make clothing because, you know, accessories were one size fits all. And I, and for some reason I convinced myself, I convinced myself that leggings were the ultimate accessory. And so we made them and we made them for kids in the fall of 2012. Um, and again, we launched it at a trade show and they took off like wildfire. And anything that we put on a legging at that point would sell. And it was first for kids. I wasn't, I, I just, I was getting married right after that fall. I hadn't had kids, but I am a big kid at heart and I know what I want to wear and I was wearing them. So we made them for kids and juniors. So women could be wearing them, but it was into the tweens and teens. Um, and eventually the moms and the women, which we truly launched with SoulCycle in 2014. And that's when we became credible and noted for our active wear, quote unquote. Um, but it started with kids. And today um, we are mostly in, and uh, a majority women's wear company. Um, but kids and girls is a huge DNA um, part of our brand. And after we launched our store um, this past fall, our kids business is truly rising once again, which makes me so very happy. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Well, tell me, like a brand that exudes positivity, you are so positive and enthusiastic and upbeat, like to surround yourself with the like-minded people to build this brand, like where are such positive people easy to come by <laughs> in the workforce? I, you know, I think it's hard, right? I think that that's a, I think, I think that that's actually a very interesting question that nobody has ever asked me. So thank you for asking me that, hey, that hey. question. Um, for me... I've always looked for working with and side-by-side good people. And I believe that there are many opportunities in this world. And you and each person should do something that makes them happy. And what I tell anybody who is looking to join Therese or who I'm looking to work with from the very beginning is that if this and this environment do not make you happy, please don't work here because you deserve to be somewhere that does make you happy. And I am happy to help anybody find those opportunities. And I have for many people who have worked with me over the past 14 years. Um, you know, there have there was a long chunk of time where people came to Therese and they never left. And right. I get it. Um, <laughs> and I think it's because I've always run it. I've always run the company in the true sense of the word family. 
and that's how it was from the very beginning. Um, in the middle of, in at some point, we tried to get some outside leadership, and that ruined that positive culture for a lot of people, including myself, um, for a couple of years, which needed to come to an end. And I then came back to the helm again. But I think this always goes back to the beginning is that you're always evolving, right? I'm getting older every single day. I'm getting wiser or less wise, you know, every day. <laughs> but I'm gaining some sort of experience. And yeah. as we go through, um, and as I have gone through this journey of building Therese alongside of building my personal life, you can't help but see them side by side and see how my personal life affects my business and how my business affects my personal life. I and mean, I think that is authenticity it, I, is the word of the day. <laughs> you know, being it's it's about being genuine and being transparent and I've gone both ways. I've I've been too transparent with my team at times where has scared them to the point because manufacturing is not easy and cash flow goes up and down and there are times when you don't know how where and how you're going to pay your bills and I believe in transparency but for some people that scares them because they're I mean I get it because it that's hard for stability right um and then there's the complete opposite side which is keeping everybody in the dark and that's not good as well. Um, that's sure. not good also. So it's it's trying to figure out at the time and with that certain team what works. By 2022, 10 years in, you had sold 1.5 million pairs of leggings. I did? But you did. This is what <laughs> has been told to me. But tell me, like... I would say... Oh, my God, Jill, that is wild for you <laughs> to hear. I mean, like, I know these things, but, but, but okay, continue. Sorry, I just... Yes, no, but, like, that happened, like, that anniversary during the pandemic, 2022. Well, we're still no, in the pandemic. Yeah, but we're still in the pandemic. Tell me about how the last three years have, like I, like I talked about in the intro, it seems like you've been striking all the right chords. People want comfort. People are in the doldrums that they're, they want something happy. Um, I would think that there's a large appetite, but at the same time, maybe they're not spending the way they once did. What, what's your experience? Um, my experience is people love to call me both um, again, professionally and personally, and say, Zara, you're killing it. It looks like Therese is killing it. And I want to, like, vomit every time that that happens. And not because it's happening, because from the outside perspective, things look great. And that is the beauty of marketing, right? That is the beauty of marketing, is that things are always looking great. Um, this industry that I love so deeply and so very much is so unbelievably challenging. And the amount of times that I feel and felt that I was and we were going out, out to business is, is more out of business is more than I can even count. And that is just the reality 
of this industry and the reality of the world in which we are all in. Um, and the pandemic specifically um, was, was challenging, was fascinating, and continues to be so. And in the beginning of the pandemic, so um, that was when we did have a different leader on board, um, which didn't, which at that time was unable to be nimble to the outside economic um, climate that was going on. And at the end of 2020 is when I really took the helm again. And I said, we are going back to basics. We're going back and talking about the things that we love and we are no longer going to have band-aids anymore. And so what I considered band-aids, and I did for many years because I also didn't like to let people go, is that when somebody, you know, when something wasn't going right, rather than fixing it, because I also, it took me a long time to, to let people go, is I would find someone or something to put on top of it, and that would become the band-aid. And during the pandemic, when active wear and athleisure became so big online, for us, yes, we did very nicely um, online, but it just compensated for our wholesale business because our wholesale business was completely destroyed and we were left with all of that inventory. So we were able to sell it. So it wasn't this anomaly year for us. It was as far as e-com is concerned, but it really was just trying to fill a void. Yeah. What, Did you have enough inventory at that point with supply chain and all that stuff holding you up and, and restricting um, sales that could have been done? Absolutely. But we had all of we did have all of the inventory for spring that had already arrived pre-pandemic sitting in our warehouse. Um, that our wholesale, our wholesale partners didn't take in. And that was really, really tough for us. So the fact that people were shopping online made us not have to close the business. Nice. But what the pandemic did from a wholesale perspective is it changed the trajectory of the activewear industry altogether. Um, we have never considered, you know, we didn't come into Therese or create leggings and bras because we felt and wanted to be part of active wear. We happened to be at the right place in the right time and we wore what made us happy and it was, it wicked away sweat, it was comfortable, it was great and it was cool and different than anything else that was out there because it didn't exist. 2021, our buyers, because now um, our buyers from the department stores um, started to create their open to buy in conjunction to what was selling online in their online in 2020, um, which was not the best way to do it because 2020 was an anomaly for most for active wear and athleisure. What this has done um, and what this has done is create a trickle down effect for active wear and where department stores now are closing their active wear departments, decreasing by 
hundreds of percent their buys and um, truly hurting the people who built that in the beginning. And activewear now, so it's funny when you first started it, you're an activewear company. Activewear yeah. has become this dirty word almost because buyers don't need activewear. Everyone's bought activewear already, or we don't sell activewear anymore. Whereas when I started Ready to Wear 10 years ago, this was the same problem I had, but opposite. People didn't know where to put activewear. And then Bloomingdale's are, calls me and goes, we want to launch our activewear department with you, which they never had before, and Saks, and even Marcus. And so I am now in the same challenge I was when I first started, but different. Yes. And you think it's temporary? It's wild. I haven't heard that they've closed activewear categories. And it's just like, oh, they're yeah. over it. People are dressing up now. We're on to um, the next thing. But it's, I would think that. No, I back. think that, no. I think, I don't think people are, I actually don't think the consumer's on to the next thing. Um, because for us, we wear leggings. It's not about activewear. Yep. It's about contemporary and lifestyle and how to wear it. Because our website is, isn't seeing change. And I opened up and this is the reason why I opened up a store when I did. And I wanted to my whole life. So it took me 14 years, but yay, we got to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and because nobody can tell your story better than you can. Department stores notoriously have, have been, they're excellent at being partners and can truly help make brands. They can also be notorious in breaking brands. Um, and I've had amazing partners. And right now, the challenge is trying to explain to our partners that active wear doesn't need to sit separately than their contemporary floor. And so active is currently sitting in some of our department stores next to the intimates section, which makes no sense because you want to buy a pair of leggings with your sweater or some, you know, something that's just comfortable. So, you know, what we say about Therese is that we make clothing for women and girls to live your active life, no matter what yeah. that is. So if you're going to go do Pilates or go to a spin class or do whatever it is that you're doing, um, we do have that for you. If you are a mom and are going to drop off and then going to work, we have that for you. If you are a working woman and want a comfortable ribbed dress that you can feel good and confident in in a great color, we have that. That is what... Oh, that is so interesting. I was talking to another founder, um, Australian brand Negnata, who does uh -huh. active wear, and they, t they were telling me they talked their... Um, buyer uh, retail partners into peppering their styles into their ready to wear uh, landing page, and they saw upticks in sales left and right because that's how people are dressing now. That's yeah? how people are buying, and so our current partners are not. Um, I guess I, I guess I got to get into Australia, but are here. In you the, do that I makes know. great sense. Yeah. Oh, and I would think LA is huge for you. It is. It's actually it's not. LA doesn't know that much about Therese and. It's That's funny that you say LA. that because Los Angeles would love our brand, like love our brand. It is store it number is, two. Yeah, maybe we'll see. We'll <laughs> see. We'll see. Um, and uh, it, it, but it's interesting because so that is truly the current challenge that we're facing 
is the word <laughs> and category of activewear itself because it has pigeonholed us as a brand and it doesn't, it shouldn't and it doesn't need to. Um, so that is, that is what we are trying to overcome currently. Yes. I love your nimbleness as a brand, as a brand leader. I talk, listening to you talk about your store and how, um, the, the traction you've seen in the children's wear category. I mean, you're in the Upper East Side, correct? I would think that we are. The, the rich mamas are taking <laughs> that opportunity. Um, intentionally. Is that change? Yes. Tell me about the store, first of all. And if you plan to maybe pivot from here. Pivot in what way? Um, to more further toward children's wear, maybe your next store will be in a similar neighborhood, but go ahead. In a similar type of neighborhood. So we intentionally, I, it's, it's interesting. I always knew the power of our girls and children's collection. Um, it has always had this differentiation, this differentiation from anything else that's out there. Um, we truly care about what we create and we are a very thoughtful brand. Most, um, a lot of other manufacturers and children's aren't. Um, and we stand by what we say and do. We make mistakes just like everybody does. And we try to hold to those mistakes. In as far as opening up the store, I intentionally wanted to be on the Upper East Side. I don't live in the Upper East Side. I live in Manhattan and I live downtown. But I wanted to be in a neighborhood where we could um, where we could go and sell to the affluent, the families and to the moms and to their children. And we chose Lexington Avenue intentionally over Madison Avenue. And the reason for that is I believe that the strip, so we're on Lexington between 74th and 75th, reminds me of like a, a strip mall on Long Island or Westchester where I grew up going or people that I know grew up going. And those true stores that are pillars of your community and something that you remember going to for the rest of your life. And I thought if we could go there and we could own that area, and become one with the community and really support, really support the community, then we could be successful. And that is why we chose to be in the Upper East Side. Truly. I love this. Right there. Yes. Well, tell me, like, this is not a, a typical podcast because we don't typically, I love that it's a true founder story and you're really like, we're not going left and right in every <laughs> single strategy. strategy. I know, and I keep on going. No, it's, it's, it's no, interesting it's really good. Of, of how it goes. And yep. um, I knew, you know, it had t there had been years um, because of leadership that I had brought in where we took, um, we downsized on our children's. Um, one, it's expensive to, to manufacture children's. It's not as big of a market. Um, all things that actually went against my ethos and... I needed to experience and learn through it and realize that I made the wrong decision, you know, agreeing to this, but bringing it back to the forefront and in the eye of the customer and being able to be there and be like, hey, we have children's, you know, we have kids. Um, there were, there are customers that are coming. They said, I didn't even know 
that you had kids clothing. And my response is, well, I launched with kids clothing. (laughs) And that's a big problem and a big disconnect. I had a customer come in the other day who remembers us for kids clothing. And they said to me, I didn't even know you had women's clothing. (laughs) All these marketing opportunities. Who's got the money though? Yeah. (laughs) Which is, that's the hope, right? Which is another disconnect for us. And it just, you know, it just shows the many opportunities and the many ways um, business goes, you know, and it's, it's another saying that people say to me, you know, when either my, my in-laws or just people in the industry, my parents, friends, when anybody comes to me and they go, Zara, so how's business? And my response to them is, at what time of the day would you like to know? And on which day? Because yes. I could wake up in the morning and look on our e-com and we have done wonderfully. And then by, by noon, I get an email that I'm getting a return of a big order from a, from a big partner of ours. And so then I'm like, oh, I, I don't know if we're going to be able to, to go past this one, if we're going to be staying in business. And then by 3 p.m., I get, you know, another conversation about a potential collaboration that would be wonderful for business. I said, oh, I guess we're going to be in business another day. And then I end with, you know, somebody being completely unhappy and, you know, and, you know, a train wreck of samples or production coming in that came in all wrong. And I said, how are we going to pay for this? I don't know how we're going to stay strong. And flying by the seat of your pants. I I think we all are. Yeah. Yep. It's true. That's honesty. That's great. You know, yeah, I think we all are. Uh, You know, what is balance, right? People say, well, Zara, how do you, I have three kids. I have three dogs. I have a roommate, which is my husband, but, you know, I like to call my life roommate. Um, (laughs) And, you know, he has, he, we both work full time. And, you know, how do you balance it all? And the answer is, I don't really believe in balance. I don't think balance really exists. I think that you prioritize. And I think that you choose one thing to work on. And while that is happening, something else is going to fall and smash into a million pieces. It is inevitable. And so you need to sit and watch it fall and see what happens. And then you pick up those pieces and make that your priority while something else goes and smashes into pieces. And it's yeah. true. It's it's just, it. if you are balancing things like this, it's hard to put, at least for me, I can't put in my 100% or 150% that I work at. Totally. We... We are going long. So what does oh, that sorry. mean? No, it's it's very good. It's very great. Like, I just want to know, like, what does this mean for 2023? Like, are you just like, you're going to investment? Is that investment? investment? So uh, we have personally, so I've never wanted to take outside investment. Um, my husband is a VC. So I really, you know, he was an angel and then a VC. So I understand the inside complications as to what that, that means. Um, and we have been fortunate enough to personally be able to fund the business. 
Um, and for 2023, um, my goals and my focus is on two, I would say two, two main things, three, three main things. One is to be a healthy, sustainable, and profitable business. Healthy, sustainable, profitable. That's one. Yep. Um, two is we have a very exciting partnerships and I love partnerships more than anything. I've been doing them before partnerships were even a trend because I believe that supporting one another is really where you can find magic. And if this comes into fruition, this will be a very different ball game for Therese altogether. Okay. And three is trying to expand what our physical footprint looks like because it has been powerful and it has been very important for the brand and for brand awareness, discovery, and profitability. Right on. Zara, I have nothing but all the highest hopes that all these things come true. And I have to say, I mean, we're like wrapping up. The candy wall has to help with get kids in there. It does. The candy wall. But we have a candy wall in our in our headquarters too. I've had a candy wall since I've started. So that is What's not your that favorite is, thing. I heard you have um, cinnamon toast crunch in there. Oh, we do actually. But I like sour watermelons. I love nice. sour and, and sour belts. Those are my favorite. Um oh, and we do have cinnamon toast fish? crunch. We do, but we have to, you know, things are also on rotation. So yes. depending on when things are, you know, things come in, things come out. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I, you know, anything that, that brings a smile to your face. And I think it's those little things, which for me makes, makes me happy. And I think the people around me, both personally and professionally happy as well. Right on. Zara, thank you for being here. This is so enjoyable. Thank you, Jill. And thank you, everybody. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.